0: Hello and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 142 with Isaac Lidsky. Isaac is an extraordinarily accomplished man and he did it all as he was going blind and he's currently blind and nonetheless is a force in terms of business and writing and inspiration. I think this is an episode you very well may want to listen to multiple times as well as his TED talk. It's just that good. So you're going to walk away learning one how you misperceive yourself and your own life, two, how to make optimal, wise choices with awareness and accountability, and three, why there are no such things as heroes and villains in your story. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript, the references to pieces we talk about, including his TED Talk, drop by awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep142. Here's Isaac's story. Isaac Litsky is a motivational speaker, author, and runs ODC Construction, a hugely successful construction company in Florida. He was a child star for the sitcom Saved by the Bell, the New Class, before being diagnosed with a rare degenerative blinding disease. That spurred Isaac to go to Harvard and graduate by the age of 19 with an honors degree in mathematics and computer science. He then returned to Harvard to study law and graduated magna cum laude and went on to clerk for two U.S. Supreme Court justices and so much more. Here's Isaac. Isaac, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh boy, well you have so much of a rich, fun history and career, so I'll just open it up at an easy, fun spot which people probably ask you all the time, what's the story kind of behind the scenes being a child actor in Saved by the Bell, The New Class?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's often where people (laughs) want to start. I grew up acting in Miami, I did somewhere between 100 and 150 commercials growing up. And I got some, you know, small parts and big things and big parts and small things. And then my, my big lucky break was being cast as Weasel Wisell on Saved by the Bell, the new class. So moved out to LA when I was 13. And, you know, had the whole celebrity and uh, sort of Hollywood fairy tale story. You know, around the same time, though, when I was 13, I was diagnosed with my blinding disease. So it was an interesting time and a time of real sort of reflection on where I wanted to go from there and kind of what was my plan.
0: Mm. Well, yes, that's powerful. And I wanted to kind of talk about the perspectives that emerged as you were doing that. But before so, I'd like to hear just a touch more in terms of your stellar academic credentials there, graduating college at 19, then Magna Cum Laude, Harvard Law School. Could you give us a quick taste for what was maybe the secret or drivers behind how you're able to pull that off? I always assume it's just sort of you know, natural brilliance genius born with. Was that the case for you or were there some particular kind of strategies you were employing?
1: You know, I always really enjoyed school and learning sort of different ways of thinking. I'll tell you, when I was diagnosed with my body disease, I was certain that blindness was going to ruin my life. I was told that I would progressively lose my sight over years. Doctor said he didn't know how long it would take or How bad it would get, and there were no treatments, no cures, and you know, good luck, basically. So, I felt a real urgency. Mm. Frankly, I knew I was wrong, but I knew that blindness was this sort of looming death sentence, and I was eager to get as much sort of crammed into life as I could, which is, you know, almost certainly a big part of why I um, you know went up to school early and graduated at nineteen and started an internet advertising business on graduation, and then uh, yeah, went back to law school, like you said, but. A remarkable thing happened, you know, as I lost my sight. It actually turned out to be, give gave me a remarkable insight into the way the human mind works. And it wound up being a very empowering and sort of liberating thing for me.
0: Well, yes, well, let's go there now. So tell us your initial kind of perceptions for this disease and what it means for you and how you grew to perceive it differently.
1: Sure, so the way that I lost my sight over about a dozen years, the way I try to describe it is, if you picture like a jumbotron screen in an arena, Mm-hmm. And imagine that you're sort of watching my life as a movie on that screen and the bulbs kind of randomly break over time. You know, at first you might not even notice, then it can grow a, a bit annoying. Mm-hmm. Parts of the screen, you know, you, you might struggle to actually make out what's going on, you know, and on and on. So my visual experience grew very sort of bizarre and frustrating. I had to sort of consciously work to piece together the information I was getting. And here comes the mind this really miraculous sort of predictive engine that's trying to, you know, make its best guesses based on sort of past experiences. And oftentimes, the guesses that my mind would make for me were very wrong. You know, objects would sort of appear and morph and disappear. And it was obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously. It was, for me, very, very challenging and and difficult. But at the same time, what was amazing is sort of this illusion that sight is a sort of passive mode of perception where you just kind of open your eyes and see the world and kind of what you see is objective truth. That whole illusion was shattered for me. And I got a sort of a peek into the the wizardry of the mind, so to speak. And that vision was really, like I said, empowering and liberating. I realized that in many ways, all of us, in many ways in our lives, if we're not careful, if we're not aware, we perceive as truth as sort of objective reality, really the, the machinations of our own mind. And the biggest sort of realization, the first one, was fear. I realized that everything I thought, you know, I knew about blindness, that I you know, knew was going to ruin my life, and meant I would never be married, never have children, and, and on and on and on. I realized that everything I thought I knew about blindness was this complete fiction, one of my fears, this sort of awful fiction, these lies. And I was choosing to believe them. So, uh, you know, upon sort of realizing that power, I ultimately decided to make a different choice. Wow! So now that is
0: such a powerful takeaway. There, we perceive as truth the machinations of our own mind, and so you said you had one belief, and then you decided, yeah, "Hey, that's a choice. I'm going to make another one." Sort of, I guess. What does that look like in practice? I think some people just assume that, as you said, you know, our perceptions are the reality, and it sort of is the way it is. And I think what I think, and so what is sort of like the I missed internal mental dialogue of realizing. This is a choice and I'm now choosing something different. And the thing I choose
1: is this. How does that sound inside your head? So, you know, with respect to my fears of blindness, it sounded, you know, something like, what do I really know about going blind and being blind versus Mm -hmm. what do I think that that's good. And, you know, what I really know about going blind and being blind is absolutely nothing. Right. And by the way, what have I done to learn about going blind and being blind? Still nothing. And what do I want out of my life? Do I want to sort of surrender to this awful scenario? Or do I want to take control and see what I can do about building a blessed life for myself, living the life I want to live, being the person I want to be, despite my blindness? And that was really sort of an eye-opening experience, if you'll pardon the pun. I mean, (laughs) all of us, you know, we all do it with our fears. We do it with our sort of self-limiting assumptions about our abilities. We misperceive strength and weakness. We misperceive uh, what success uh, means and what value means. We often will uh, sort of unwittingly perpetuate our own insecurities and vanities and sort of on and on and on. The, the power is ours really in every single moment to choose how we want to live our lives and who we want to be. And I, I'd argue that whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, we're making those choices in every moment. So to me, you know, it seems a better opportunity to make those choices with awareness and accountability and intention, as opposed to doing it sort of by happenstance. And I don't think I would have seen any of that had I not lost my sight the way I lost it.
0: Oh, that is so powerful. Thank you. And that question there is like, what do I really know about going blind? It strikes me as just a potent one you could use again and again. What do I really know about being rich, about being an executive, about managing people? Uh It's like, well, often little or nothing or what I saw on TV one time years ago. And that's kind of running the show. So I'm intrigued then. Are there any kind of particular, I don't know, triggers or cues or kind of watch outs like when you hear your mind going in one direction that you say, "Uh, uh, 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 time out, you know, like, how does that
1: dialogue work? Sure. So sticking with fear, and obviously, there's a lot more to talk about, but you're sticking with fear. I try to keep a vigilant watch for heroes and villains in my life. In my experience, when sort of fear shows up and tries to sort of fill the void of the unknown with this awful scenario it concocts for us. Along with that, it'll often kind of manifest heroes and villains, people that we want to credit or blame, celebrate or fault for our circumstances, for our future. And it's tempting to do so. And it often sort of feels that these people wield power over our fate. But really, at the end of the day, they're figments of our imagination. There are no heroes or villains in the reality you choose to live for yourself. It's just you. So definitely keep a watch for those because we sort of unwittingly surrender basically outsource our destiny to people when we believe they have control over our fate.
0: Oh, that's powerful. And it's interesting because you might think, oh, a hero is a great thing. It's positive. It's inspiring. It uplifts you. But you're saying be careful because when you designate a person as a hero in your life, you're sort of saying that they are responsible for the goodness and thus you're abdicating your own personal responsibility.
1: Yes, absolutely. So not to harp on this sort of blindness thing, but it's a good example of fear in my life. When I was first diagnosed and in the first you know few years of beginning to lose my sight, my villain was blindness. Not this sort of medical condition that I had, sort of the condition of sightlessness, but blindness, this sort of amorphous monster, this boogeyman that was gonna destroy my life. My heroes were the brilliant research scientists working so hard to, mm-hmm. to cure my disease. And in this sort of awful reality of my fears, You know, my life was a race against time. You know, me on the sidelines, right? Not running the race, but cheering for the heroes, the scientists, desperate for them to save me in time to cure my disease and sort of watching as blindness, you know, was way in front and only widened the gap. And that didn't leave me in a very good spot.
0: Right. Well, that's so helpful. Thank you. Well, so can you maybe expand a little bit? So in your book here, Eyes Wide Open, what would you say if you had to synthesize or articulate kind of the big idea what's it all about?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we've kind of touched on it already. The big idea is the choice is yours to make with awareness and accountability uh, and intention to take control of the way you experience your life. I mean, all of us face circumstances that are beyond our control. Of course, we all face challenges, the loss of a job, loss of a relationship, our children don't get into the right school and on and on and on. But how those circumstances manifest themselves in our lives is up to us. We are the masters of our realities. And for me, I often think about the fact that always there are people who have done far more with far less and critically have been a lot happier doing it. Mm -hmm. So the answer can't be in the circumstances, right? The answer's got to come from within. Fortunately, this brain of ours, this mind of ours is immensely powerful. And uh, with the right vision, at least in my life, we really are the masters of our fate.
0: Oh, that's so good. So we talked about fear in some length in terms of your philosophy and your perspective and how you interpret it. Is there anything you do kind of outside your mind? I'm just wondering about sort of physically anything that you are, I don't know, recording or writing in some way or actions that you're taking that sort of
1: pull you out of that thought place? Yes. Yeah, so. Sort of throughout the book, I touch on sort of different themes or different aspects of life, you know, sort of some of the lists that we kind of talk about, our fear and ongoing struggle and our perception of luck and all that kind of stuff. So I, I have developed for myself sort of practical sort of steps or ideas or concepts that I tried to use to maintain control of my reality. And I should say, this eyes wide open vision that I was blessed to get through blindness, it's not a one shot and, and then, you know, Shangri-La, you know, you're in a higher plane and you never have to work again. I mean, for right. me, it's daily effort. It's a discipline that I cultivate. Some days I'm better at it, some days, you know. But it's certainly worth the effort as far as I'm concerned. Well, could
0: you lay out for us a few of those key steps? Like, are there any sequences or processes that are kind of like a one, two, three or ABC that you you know, find the discipline to work again and again and again?
1: Sure, so my partners and I bought a small residential construction subcontractor in June of 2011. And we thought we were buying a sort of a going concern, a business that was sort of spreading water. It turned out we were buying a business that was basically hemorrhaging cash and sinking like this. It was a very difficult time, very challenging time, uh, but you see sort of team came together, we rallied, we managed to turn it around. What I, in those months, in that sort of nine months, nine to 12 months of kind of really, basically saving the, uh, the business from bankruptcy, I really tried to focus on two questions, two very specific questions. One is what precisely is it that I am endeavoring to accomplish, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy mm-hmm. to lose sight of that. We have critics, internal and external, who will try to tell us, you know, what our definition of success should or should not be or what we should be doing. But it's important to listen to ourselves, right? Only you can define your success. You won't succeed by definition if you follow some other version of success. And if you labor without a definition, you're pretty much lost, in my estimation. Effort without purpose is basically chaos. Second question is, what precisely is my best next step, right? Just the next step. We can overwhelm ourselves with the sort of a overarching vista of the entire enterprise, right? The sort of magnitude of our overarching aspirations can be, um, you know, suffocating. But always there's that next step, right? You're not going to get from A to Z if you don't first get from A to B. I can guarantee that. And by the way, you know, the world is going to change a million times on your way from A to Z. Right, so that's some stuff I try to do in the face of sort of business struggle, I guess.
0: Oh, that's handy. That's handy. Well, if you have any other one, two, three kind of processes, we'll take them. <laughs> this is gold.
1: <laughs> well, unfortunately, it doesn't all boil down so neatly and finally. I'll tell you though um, that the risk of boring you to tears while we're on roll. I'll tell you a couple thoughts on the question of sort of luck in life. All right, which I do think a fair bit about. So, you know, again, we all confront circumstances that are not as we wish them to be in our lives. Uh, So luck is obviously a dominant force in life. I think, however, we do ourselves a real disservice in sort of simplifying luck and misperceiving luck. So I have two sort of particular ways in mind. First is, I think we really tend to want to believe that there's this sort of good luck and bad luck, and it's a bright line, and it's sort of neat and tidy, and we can characterize the events. I don't think that the events themselves warrant or bear characterization as good or bad. I think it's kind of what we do with them. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly you may argue there are some clear cases, but certainly I think much of life is the sort of nuance in the middle and it's kind of up to us to figure that out. I'll tell you, I think I was lucky to go blind the way that I went blind. Second way, um, I think maybe reframing luck could be helpful is, um, you know, again, that idea that circumstances are beyond our control. Again, no doubt there are circumstances that are beyond our control, but I think, the majority of life, again, somewhere in the middle in that nuance where whether matters are are in our control or not in our control is up for debate. And by the way, is kind of turns on whether we choose to take control or not. So luck, I think, is a tricky thing. I think, you know, we can get into trouble if we um, oversimplify luck in our lives. Hmm. That's good. Thank you.
0: Well, I'd also like to talk about the concept of vision. So what are some of your perspectives on how we can get sort of a better, clearer vision for our lives, our careers, kind of where a team is headed,
1: and then how to convey that vision well. Sure. So in, in the business context, as in the life context, I mean, you know, it starts with having one, as silly as that might sound. I think it's a shame, that, you know, too often we get sort of wrapped up in the day to day or the sort of momentum of life or we get discouraged or for whatever reason, we don't spend enough time thinking about what it is that we want out of our lives, what it is uh, that we value, that we prize, how we want to spend our time. And I think that's important for us to do as individuals. And I think it's really important for leaders and managers of corporations, of businesses, to make sure that they're answering that question too for the business and for their team, right? You know, not to uh, over idealize or romanticize work, because, you know, work is work. But certainly, I think that leaders and managers can create a place where it is understood that there's a larger meaning in a team coming together cooperating, leveraging each other's resources and talents, and trying to do something excellent or special and taking pride in it. And that sure beats the alternative, as far as I'm concerned. No, oh, yes. And so articulating it, thinking about it, kind of settling on it, and then any
0: special thoughts for how you sort of share that and enroll others in it effectively?
1: You know, you can never communicate it too frequently. You can never sort of over-encourage folks to participate, to buy in, and it, but it's got to be authentic, right? So I mean, my leadership the team at ODC Construction is a group of remarkable individuals that I'm so immensely proud of and grateful for. And, you know, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the core team saw some really ugly and dark days, you know, in the beginning. But, you know, we kind of lifted each other up and support each other by kind of reminding each other that we were trying to build something special, something excellent, do things a little different, bring professionalism to an unsophisticated industry, bring you know, technology. And our goal was that the folks who worked for our team who wore the company, you know, polo shirt, you know, had a little bit of pride a little bit of swagger for, you know, kind of being part of the team.
0: That's good. Thank you. Well, Isaac, tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure that we cover off before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
1: You know, I do want to clarify, you know, for you and for folks listening that while I gained my vision by going blind, it really, um, the reason why I'm taking so much time to talk about it and write about it and the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because it really is for everybody. It's about our minds and it's about, you know, through the opportunity we faced to, you know, to live the life we want to live. And I wrote the book in large part, you know, really for my children, because it's a vision that I hope they will share someday. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, now could you
0: share for us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
1: Well, it's one I start my book with. Ellen Keller said, worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision.
0: Mm, Good. Thank you. And how about a
1: favorite study
0: or experiment or piece of research?
1: That's a good question. So, Again, just point from the book, these two Harvard psychologists did this research study where they played a video of six people playing basketball, three wearing white shirts and three wearing black shirts, and they told the study participants to count the number of passes made by the players in the white shirts. Uh-huh. In the middle of this video, which I think was like 10 or 12 minutes, a man in a gorilla costume walked into the middle of the screen, waved his arms, bumped his chest, walked off screen. Fifty percent of the study participants were so engrossed in the counting task that they failed entirely to notice the gorilla. They literally swore there was no gorilla. And in fact, they thought that, you know, there were games being played with them and there was some sort of trick. Oh, that's a fun one. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Favorite book. Wow. I don't know that I can give you a favorite book. I love to read and I love to read everything.
0: And you give us two three-ish recent favorite <laughs> books. Get <Can't laughs> off the hook.
1: Recent- <laughs> well, I read A Man Called Ove recently, which I thought was really, really cool. The Most Human Human, I read recently, something like that, about that sort of Turing contest where they pit artificial intelligence algorithms against people or whatever. But they actually award the the person who has the best success rate against the machines, the Most Human Human Award or whatever. It's a fascinating story. So those are a couple that I read in the last month or so.
0: Okay. And how about a favorite tool, something that you use often that helps you be awesome at your job?
1: So my iPhone in particular, Apple has a software called VoiceOver, which makes the iPhone accessible to blind people. Mm-hmm. Might seem surprising given that it's a touchscreen interface, but I could literally run my whole business off my iPhone spreadsheets and email and everything. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. And how about a favorite
0: habit, a personal practice of yours that keeps you sharp and flourishing?
1: So my children are everything to me and I make it a habit to speak to them and wish them good night wherever I am in the world or whatever's going on every day.
0: That's great. And is there a particular favorite sort of nugget or an expression of your message that seems to particularly resonate with folks? They're retweeting, they're nodding their heads, they're taking notes in a hurry. What would you say is a sentence or two from you that seems to capture folks?
1: You know, the book's only been out a week, so I I don't know (laughs) what the the field has to say, but I'll tell you, for me, I really like the simple message that in every moment, you choose who you wanna be and how you wanna live your life. All right. And
0: Isaac, what would you say is the best place if folks want to learn
1: more about what you're up to
0: or get in touch? Where would you point them?
1: Sure. So you can just go to my website, which is just my last name.com. So it's Litsky, L is in Larry, I, D is in David, S is in Sam, KY You can see my TED talk there is info about the book. I've got a blog and what I really hope is that folks will tell me what they think about my vision and my story and all that because you know there's wisdom in community. So if folks would be willing to, you know, hit the submit feedback or whatever link and let me know what they think. I would really appreciate it. Oh, great. Thank you. And do you have a final
0: challenge or call to action you'd like to send forth to those looking to be more awesome at their jobs?
1: Yeah. Take control. Take responsibility. Hold yourself accountable. No more excuses. Just get it done. Awesome.
0: Oh, Isaac, this was so much fun. Thank you for sharing the good word. And I hope, you know, Eyes Wide Open is a smash hit, you know, on all the bestseller lists and that you continue touching folks with this great
1: message. Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you. I hope I didn't uh, ramble on.
0: That's so powerful. I love that question in particular. What do I really know about going blind? Huh, nothing. So many areas of life or decisions or opportunities or career. What do we really know about this? maybe less than you think you do, or it's based on just a couple minute impressions that you formed from television or whatever, I think that's potentially game-changing. So once again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, stuff mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep142. And if you haven't, please push the subscribe button as well. Our next guest is Dr. Janie Fritz. She's got some perspective on workplace communications with some difficult people and situations. So I hope to catch you there.